to be called Abide, so he referred to us AWBs. Of course, nobody wants to be called AWBs. <laughs> stands for Anglicans Without Bibles. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to read to you from uh, Luke's Gospel, chapter 16. Luke's Gospel, chapter 16, from this one. Okay, this one, it says, Jesus told his disciples this parable. There was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management, because you cannot be my manager any longer. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong, strong enough to dig. I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do. When I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my, my master? 800 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bowl, sit down quickly, and make, make it 400. Then he asked the second, and how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bowl and make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves, so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Interesting parable. And uh, that, uh, how many uh, you know a little bit about that parable? But we're going to talk about dedication. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, about giving. <coughs> how many of you like to talk about money? No, not many of you. I guess so. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> They don't have any. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I'm going to talk hypothetically here this evening. Okay. Well, anyway, we're going to find ways. So uh, we'll have to teach you how to make money first before you can give money. Okay. Because as you can, you're going to see this this evening, it's, it's really important that you know how to deal with this. Anyway, so let me start off with a quote from a famous sort of uh, French philosopher, Voltaire. He says, when it, when, when it is a question of money, everybody's of the same religion. I like that sort of thing, you see, because we find ourselves often in kind of categories. Even when we're in one church together, you're the sort of unspiritual lot, the spiritual lot, the guys who raise their hands, and the guys who don't raise their hands, the guys who kneel, the guys who walk, the guys who dance, and so on. So we put people in different categories. When it comes to money, we are the same religion. We all struggle with this, uh, this important area uh, of money. And so we, 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 that's why Jesus spoke so often about money, because we struggle. And that's why it's so important, I believe, that we need to talk not just once a year, but we have to talk more than once a year about it. But we do it once a year, we do a series, and that's what we've been doing over the last few Sundays, on Sunday morning. And then we got this morning, and then we had this wonderful time of dedication where people could do just that. And, uh, and I do have some cards at the back there, for those of you who have some money. And... Uh, why don't you dedicate your mums and dads so that you're not left out and you just say, mum, I've just given all your money away <laughs> okay so we all have this problem money. Uh, this, this interesting story this, uh, kids came out of a Sunday school one of the local churches here this pastor was telling us the story and, uh, and uh, older sister obviously and the little brother and uh, little daughter, the sister was sort of explaining how she had remembered everything, everything the Sunday school teacher had said in detail, and she told everything, and how the story applied to their lives and so on. The little brother looked at this, and he couldn't remember much about the story. Anyway, dug his uh, hand into his pocket, took out a fire brand, so sort of was under her nose, and said, well, love, we didn't have to pay for our lesson. <laughs> 
And sometimes we look for ways it means how we can sort of get away from it. So I I don't have any money and so on. But uh, we'll get at that. We'll look at sort of pocket money and all those kind of things too. And how we're able to, uh, to give to God. Because you see, what happens often in our materialistic world, when we get away from these things, we get more and more into credit. Gosh, I was opening some of my, uh, my mail this afternoon. I looked at some of the banks. Everybody wants to give you a loan, you see. Why do you know, targeting me, I've got no money. Um, and so, but uh, everybody wants to give you this loan. Christmas time, why did you get 20,000 rand credit and buy the things that you always wanted to buy? And then of course you have a headache when you wake up after Christmas because you're going to pay, you know, find ways and means to, uh, to pay those bills. So, so Jesus tells the story. The story is called The Unjust Steward. Now it is a tricky one. And telling you theologians and commentators have difficulty with us. I mean, just you listening to it, you're like, ooh, this sounds like a dicey one. You know, I'm not quite sure. How can Jesus use an unjust steward and raise this man up like and says, follow him? Hello? Okay. There was a, a great commentator, a really godly man in chat called, and I didn't put this on because it's, oh, people probably would be shaken by this. A chap called C.C. Torrey, and he commented as follows. He said, this passage brings before us a new Jesus. Okay? So for those of you who didn't think that way, yeah, he says, yeah, he brings before us a new Jesus. One who is inclined to compromise with evil. He bases his teaching on a shrewd scoundrel who feathered his own nest at the expense of the man who trusted him and then appears to say to his disciples, let this be your model. Now, folks, when Jesus gives me something, I'm not going to argue about There must be something in it. And there must be a reason why he does that. Because you see, even us as Christians, we've got things to learn from the world. That's the reason why we often get into trouble. We are pretty naive and sometimes go to the edge of being a little flaky about some of the things we do. Okay? I want to go with God. I want to be spiritual. I want to trust God for whatever God wants to do. But there's a point where I've got to hear what God is saying to me. I want you to hear because God wants to speak in your lives about some stuff so that we don't just simply end up pointing a finger at somebody else, blaming somebody, and so on, but that we come to God and really hear what God is saying. Okay? Because God has something to say to each one of us. So what I want to do with you this evening, I'm to leave you with your four words from this passage. Four things that I believe Jesus wants us to take with us from this passage. You know, I grew up amongst Muslims and Indians and so on. Let me tell you, when it comes to money, I check these guys out, they are shrewd. Okay? And I think that's what Jesus was saying. You've got to understand that this was sort of written in a Middle Eastern context where those guys really know how to wheel and deal. And, uh, and Jesus wants to teach us a couple of important principles in this passage and take home with you. And um, the first is the word shrewdness. Okay, the first word which I want you to, to take with you is, is the word shrewd. Uh, in this passage, it's quite clear right at the very beginning, um, Jesus talks about this shrewd and uh, some of you will have in your Bibles this passage entitled the parable of the shrewd manager. And Jesus says in this passage, he says, people of this world are much more shrewd in handling their affairs than the people who belong to the light. And basically what this Greek word means is people of the world have lots more practical wisdom when it comes to money. Okay? Practical wisdom. And of course many of us are not not good when it comes to, uh, to money and knowing how to be shrewd about them. Uh, there's nothing Christian about mismanaging business affairs uh, and failing to use our money to the best advantage. And so one of the things when I come in uh, to any, any church situation is I want to see what people are doing with their money and how they're using their money. And I've often said to churches that I've gone to, because one of the things I've done in churches is do what we call an audit. And you know, we all do financial audits every year and so on, but how many of us do spiritual audits? Hey, can you imagine you could find somebody, the equivalent 
of, a, of an accountant and you said to him, right, these are my spiritual books for the past year. Oh my gosh. You know, I think some of us would be pretty embarrassed. I mean, can you imagine asking you, do you have a slip for this and a slip for that and a slip for that? We don't. And you see, as we just, we ended with that wonderful song then, you know, about Jesus, especially he's closer than friend or lover. And the question I asked myself, is it really true? Has he really been that close to you in this past year? Can you really say that you've walked that close? Doing an audit, finding out what's going on in the life of the church in terms of ministry, but also in terms of how shrewd we are and how we use our money. Are we good at using our money? And, uh, and I think we need to sit down. That's why I have people such as uh, spiritual directors and so on, people I can talk to about my spiritual life. I want to make sure whether I am a good steward in the things that I do and the whatever I'm using. 90% of Christian leaders are accountable to no one. No one asks them simple questions like, uh, how do you spend your time? How much time have you spent on this project? And uh, why have you spent so much time? Should you be spending less time on this, that, or the next thing? Practical wisdom in every aspect of your affairs. And uh, when I spoke of this uh, to, at the early service, I, I made a statement about uh, you know uh, parish council and all the rest of it. And uh, that's what I normally do. I've got this style. I drop a seed, and then I leave it there. And I will hopefully nobody listens to it, but I know that the seeds drop it, drop into people's minds. But one of the people said, oh my gosh, you've upset the church wardens. Okay? And that's okay. They know that I love them. Just as you better know, I love you so when I say things that are tough and difficult and so on, you know that's the reason why I'm saying it. Be a little bit more shrewd when it comes to every area of your life, but particularly when it comes to finances as well. Okay? And so, for example, when whatever, you, whatever is at your disposal, whether it's 10 rand, 50 rand, 100 rand, 1,000 rand, Bring that before God. Be faithful. Let me tell you, it's difficult to be faithful in a number of areas, but in money, it's quite easy. It's straightforward. Okay? You know when you've got 500 rand, what's a tithe? Okay. You don't have to be a CA. You don't have to be some expert in maths to know exactly what a tithe is. Okay? So we begin with that. Remember that the first tithe belongs to God. Be shrewd. The second word which I'm going to bring before you is the word strategy. 16 verse 9, we read in this passage, it says, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself, so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. We see in this passage how strategic this man is. He works out a plan, and, uh, and Jesus commends him, for the strategic way that he operates. And it means that we bring everything before God, and he brought, of course, these, uh, these accounts, and he, he thought really carefully through them, you know, how am I going to operate? Now, of course, people who try to understand this parable, you know, we look at it from a Western point of view, and we say, oh my gosh, you know, how can this, how can this dude do this? But let's say, for example, this man is uh, managing... Uh, his boss's uh, property and finances and everything and so on. And what they often do in Eastern countries, I mean, all he had to do is make sure that he was faithful and that at the end of the year when they did the sort of audit and so on, make sure that there was a profit and so on. But let's say, for example, this guy was ingenious. And he decided, okay, all my, uh, my boss wanted sort of, you know, 10% returns and so on. But he knows I'm really slick. I can get 20% so he goes. And that's, uh, you know, the way he operates. So, of course, the 10, 15% and so on belongs to him. But then, of course, the boss finds out about this and he thinks, this guy's really been pushing it a bit far. You know, we often uh, do, you know, we, we, we take chances. And I got away with that. Maybe I can try something bigger and bigger and bigger. So, of course, this is what this guy was doing. That's where the boss comes in. He steps in and says, right, I'm going to call you to account now. And then he sits down and he works out very carefully and he becomes strategic about the way he is going to go about these things. I believe when it comes to everything that God has given to us, each one of us needs to ask some serious questions about how am I using 
everything. Not only my money, my time, my resources, and so on. Everything that God has given to you belongs to God, and of His own we give back to Him. Uh, a passage in, in the Old Testament. And uh, of course, everything, everything belongs to God. That's a tough one. Okay? That's a tough one when, uh, when, when, when you're told that everything belongs to God. So it doesn't matter what we do, whether it's about church property or your own property, <coughs> so everything belongs to God. So the question we need to ask ourselves is not only am I giving God the tithe, but how do I use the rest of what belongs to me? <coughs> and you see, when we, when, we're gonna, when we move with God, it's really important that you ask yourself this question. How am I using everything that God has given to me? Uh, my time, my money, and so on. Say so you have a motor car. Okay. Just sort of check out, you know, who's got what here and so on. It's God's. Okay? It belongs to Him. How do I use what God has given to me? And so when we talk about unfaithfulness, uh, you know, often we, 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 we cut corners on many of these things. And you see, it's only when I've sat down with people and I ask the question. And that's what I'm doing about this code of conduct. It's not the final thing. But I'm giving it for you to read. And I want you to come back to me and say, ah, I really think this is a bit sort of tough, or maybe it's convenient, or whatever. So let's talk about it. But let's strategize. Let's make sure about where we're going. I want us to walk in the light with one another. Okay? About these things. So that's the second word that Jesus brings out in this passage, the word of um, strategy. Am I handling my possessions in such a way to lay up treasures for myself? Or am I aimlessly just grasping. I told some of you this story about this, uh, this rich woman who died, but I thought I had to share it because it kept coming up again and again. But there's a story told about this woman because this is what Jesus says, we've got to, we've got to think in terms of eternity. So she dies, and a rich woman lived up somewhere up fancy in the hills of Constantia, so she died, got to heaven, and so on. And uh, she'd heard about, you know, obviously about the scriptures, about there's mansions in heaven, and she's going to have this wonderful miracle house. So St. Peter, welcome to the sanctuary to show you your miracle house. And of course she's very excited. So they move around heaven and they see this first huge mansion over there. And she says, is that my house? My miracle house? I said, no, 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 that's your, your maid's. That's fantastic. My maid's got a place like that. That should be, uh, you know, I can't wait to see mine. So I move on, look through heaven, get to the next place, and uh, there's another huge uh, cottage and so really pretty little garden and so on. And she says, Is that my house? My miracle house? And uh, he says, No, 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 that belongs to your gardener. Ah, she can't wait to move and travel around heaven. And just as they take a corner, there's a little old ramshackle place, little half built and so on. And she looks at this, she says, and that! And Peter says, that's your miracle house. She said, what? Peter said, yeah, it's a miracle that we could build you anything with the supplies that you sent up here. <laughs> <laughs> and you see, in this passage, Jesus says, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. I believe what Jesus wants us to understand is to see things from eternity's perspective. So whether it's just in your personal spiritual life now, or whether what God is doing and what He's done over this past year, or what He's going to do in the, in the future, can you see things from heaven's perspective? Okay? That's the key thing. So I do a little exercise with people. How are you going to begin to see things from heaven's perspective? Well, I can take you up a mountain and you can begin to see things from another angle. But of course, you know, I know with church people, they come to church every Sunday and they sit in the same place. <laughs> I mean, isn't it strange? I mean, even here, in this kind of radical evening group, the same guys on the side and the same guys on that side. Okay? So I said to the folks at the service, okay folks, if you're going to see things from heaven's perspective, you need to start moving your places. You can't sit on the same place because some of you have been looking into the same person's head for the last 50 years. 
<laughs> now, you know, it's only after I say these things, they're like, oh, my wife grabs me over and says, give me another top this morning. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, so I said, oh, well, I'm just sort of dropping that, you know, later on do the more serious teaching. I just want to sort of, you know, make people laugh and so on. Anyway, the following Sunday morning, almost everybody had moved at the first service. Had moved their place. <laughs> yeah, now let me tell you. Now you see, David had not been the previous Sunday in church when I made that announcement. So David's standing up front there and he looks at this church and he'd never seen it like this before. He's totally disorientated. <laughs> And of course, for those of you who've been at the first service, he looked at the one person particular. The church warden sits in that front. <laughs> and of course, he just felt he couldn't continue without the church warden there. So he decided he was going to do something strange. This is funny because, you know, normally if this man's not here, he'd probably found it some sickle and gone away or whatever. And so, so he says, Janie, where are you? <laughs> and I five, six, seven, eight rows to the back over there, January. <laughs> <laughs> and that's great. But you see, the other thing, some of the old ladies up front here, they came to me and said, Alan, I'm sorry, but I won't move my place. I need to sit here to hear. <laughs> I think that's sweet. I think it's fantastic. <laughs> and some of them still on a Wednesday, they say to me, hey, I'm apologizing. So, so, I said, no, it's okay. It's ridiculous. <laughs> and what I'm talking about is more looking at things from a spiritual angle. Okay? Looking at it from another dimension, another aspect. And we need to do that. Okay? Some of you can to sit and mope about things that happen and so on. And instead of saying, hey, get up. Look at things from another perspective, okay? Look at things from another angle, because uh, there's exciting things that God wants to do and that God is going to do uh, in the near, near future. The third word which I want to leave with you this evening is the word scrupulous. Okay. Jesus says there, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. If you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? Now, of course, if you don't have money, you're going to have a problem with that verse. <laughs> don't worry, the richer. You, you come on a Sunday morning to church. I always look for my visual aid in the congregation, you see. So this morning I'm talking, and I'm using an example of Meryl Street. First service. How many of you know Meryl Street? <coughs> and the late... Great, I'm so impressed with the guys. She is really... Next time I'll tell you the story of Meryl Street. Okay. But anyway, the lady in the third row, like, jumped up and down as if this was the Meryl Street concert. And I said, like, me, me, me. Okay, so I had my visual aid for the morning. <laughs> so, of course... We kept on talking about Meryl Street and so on. But it's just great. It just sort of makes things come alive. Again. Okay. The word here means be careful, be conscientious, do not be neglectful. And, uh, and that's what Jesus is saying in this passage. Um, material possessions are very important. You see... I believe that God wants to teach us a number of things, and that's what's important, the way we use whatever is at our disposal. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. If you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? So there's a very important principle here in terms of the kingdom. God doesn't do what we do in South Africa with the BEE. We say, okay, we're changing things around. We're looking for people with darker complexions and women. And it's about all. It's affirmative action. And it doesn't matter whether you've had experience or not. We're just going to plonk you and we're going to make you the CEO of this company. We're going to make you the manager, whatever. And so the whole place falls apart. And I, oh, my gosh. Where are these people going to learn? <laughs> John, I hope you teach 
teaching people better, John Smart at the back there. Okay, he's a justice man over there. Love these justice people, but you know, sometimes they're too enthusiastic and they just flock these guys there. And uh, you've got to learn from Jesus. Jesus says, you never can be trusted first with little. Don't make him the president of the country. Hello! <laughs> yeah! <laughs> That's why there are certain things you've got to pray about. You know, somebody, the bulletin came from uh, one of his prayer places, but I noticed one of the things, don't pray against people, says uh, uh, oh, uh, But uh, I think sometimes you have to pray, Lord. Sorry, that's not good enough. Okay. You've got to be trusted. That's why God's going to trust you with everything. One of the things the saints used to do, you know, the guys who went to the monastery, to really sort of sort them out, they could deal with three important areas in their lives. Money, sex, and power. That's why the, the monk always had three knots, because he made three vows, chastity, poverty, and obedience, which related to those three powerful forces. And of course, with some of them, they went extreme. They would put a naked woman in the room to see what happens to him. Okay? And uh, to see whether this guy's got it all under control. You've got to be trusted. Okay? Now, there's going to be ways and means um, to, to learn to trust with little things. But we don't often do that. We don't say to people, okay, I'm going to give you this little amount and I want to see whether you can be trusted with these things. Okay, we simply put people in places of... <coughs> okay, and, and, and we've got to do that. I, I do that constantly with people. And I say to you folks, if you have failed in that task, we're going to go again over that, over that ground. Okay? And I know the people who mentored me did exactly that. Constantly they would assess and evaluate uh, my life and the various things that I did. And that's when they said, okay, that's where you want me to be. And that's why I, I believe even in the places that I've been, I mean, some of you know that I went to Polokwani. Now, when I left Polokwani, all my friends and family kept on going, oh, no. How could such a nice boy from Cape Town go to Polokwani? Okay. <laughs> I'll tell you what, it was one of my greatest experiences. Um, but you know, I believe it's all about God entrusting things to you. The time when I went to Polokwani was just after the 94 election, elections. I was put right in the center of the town when Polokwani was pulling in different directions. Well, that time it was still called Petersburg. Okay? And, uh, and, and it, was, it was a very, very conservative town and so on. And in that situation, God just used me in amazing ways. Uh, we had huge combined services of people who came from, from all over the place. It was, it was really an, an amazing time. And I believe that God was entrusting this to me. And God was saying, if you can be trusted, and that's how I saw it in going to a place like that. When God calls me to whatever place, I believe that he's trusted you. So, therefore, you know, we don't have to fight. I often say to people, when I've gone to any church or parish or any responsibility, I, I, I've never pushed my way into it. My spiritual director said to me, when there were a number of parishes coming up, I said, which one should I apply for? He said, don't apply for any. Wait on God. Okay? Wait on God. This is a very important principle. I believe that God will not take you beyond your capability. If you cannot be trusted with little, you cannot be trusted with much. So this is a very important principle. So as we look at gifts and ministries in the life of the church for next year, it's important that as leaders we ask the question, have you been trusted have you been trustworthy in the little before we go on to the bigger stuff? Okay, so that's the, uh, the third word over there, uh, being faithful with the little things. Remember that all things belong to God. And then the fourth word which I'm going to leave with you this evening is the word single-mindedness. In that passage, Jesus says, No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one or despise the other. A very important principle um, that is uh, mentioned here by Jesus um, because this statement doesn't only deal with the breaking of the tenth commandment and that's the whole area about covetousness but it also breaks uh, the first commandment putting uh, an, an idol and so often 
It's so easy in the world that we live in, the materialistic world, is that uh, we, we make <coughs> material things our idols, and they get in the way. And, uh, you know, so often I've seen in people's lives, and I try and find out where people have gone wrong when I do things like audits and so on, and I discovered that Jesus was. It wasn't the focus was not on him. Somewhere along the line, and it doesn't matter how charismatic we become, we lose our focus. Okay? You cannot serve two masters, and it doesn't matter what it is that you've got at your disposal. It might be money, it might be a music ministry, it might be some gifting in some other area, and so on, and you make that thing the idol. And let me tell you, there's something so easy can become idols. And uh, even things like music, whatever ministry, and you look at it in the life of any church, when you see something come crumbling down, stop. Don't blame everybody. And that's why you see when I look at church people, sometimes they sit like that. And they're like angry with me. I'm not smiling in this church anymore. Because <laughs> you're the one who got things going right. And there's that famous one told about, uh, about this church. They were going to put in new chandeliers in the church. So, of course, it was a very nice minister, checked out with everybody, but there was some old buddy who sat there, and he was not going to give a go away for this new chandeliers. And so, he would come to church every Sunday morning, and he'd sit looking at that chandelier. He was not going to smile. He's not going to be very, very unhappy. They have people like that in church and something has happened and so they're very upset and you're going to, they're going to draw attention to themselves. Guys, let's move on beyond that. Let's enthrone Jesus. Okay? Somewhere along the line many of us have taken Jesus off the throne. Something else has got onto the throne and let me tell you folks it happens so subtly. Okay? Happens so subtly it easily becomes about me. That's why I have a wife who sits in the congregation most of the time. She's not here. She like gives me kind of a smack when I think it's about me. Okay? <laughs> okay, she sees a really sort of tough cookie gives me a hard time. So because you know what happens is when when God's given you a ministry which you really enjoy, and one of the things I enjoy more than anything else is leading people to Jesus. And I love it and I come home and I'm a cloud night you know, and so on. And it's, it's wonderful you get too excited when you remember it's not about you. It's all about him. Single-mindedness. Let's put Jesus back on the throne in every area of our lives. Beginning first as we talk about dedication on the Sunday, put him back on the throne in every area of our lives. Say to him, Lord, it's all about you. And you so you see, even when we come to worship, you know, sometimes we come and worship and we're like, oh, let's see if these guys can entertain me. No, 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 no. You see, the music is only to facilitate our worship. The music is not the worship. And that's why sometimes there are times where you just have to go and sing in tongues and pray and worship God. Sometimes fall on your face, on your knees, and do different things. But listen to what the Spirit is doing. Let Him be on the throne. And the same is true about every other ministry and so on. Let's put Jesus back on the throne. Okay? And that's what dedication is all about. That's why we come back. And that's why they had these... These times in the Old Testament, they have these special times, dedication time. It's a time where we come and we recommit ourselves to God and say, God, thank you for the great stuff that happened in the past year. Mm, forgive us for the stuff that didn't really work so well. But we don't sit there and we don't mope, we move on. And we say, okay, we're going to make a new resolution, we're going to put you back on the throne, we're going to be single-minded because we recognize we've been torn apart because we're two masters. Again, find out who that other master was, the one who drew you away from Jesus and your first love. Put him back. Okay? Remember, love is not a feeling. It's a commitment. Okay? So don't just wait and say, I'm waiting for the feelings to come back. It might never come back. Okay? You make a commitment and then the feeling will follow. Okay? You make a commitment to say, Lord, I'm going to dedicate myself. There are some cards over there and uh, we're going to spend some time Graham, if you'd like a card, I want you to take a card. It's partly just your commitment to God, okay? And uh, and I want us to spend some time in prayer. Maybe we should uh, 
you know, just uh, come to the front and, uh, and kneel down. Maybe you just want to stand up front here and you just say to God, well, I want to commit myself to this, to this coming year, to the new year and so on. I want to commit myself, my money. I don't have money. Commit my gifts, <coughs> my body. So that we were looking at that passage boy uh, where Paul says, offer yourselves as a living, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. That's what we want to do. We want to lay ourselves before God so God, I'm committing myself afresh to you. I'm committing my gifts, my money, my resources. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time together. Thank you for coming to minister here amongst us, Lord. We're so conscious of a number of things as we gather here this evening. We cannot, Lord, remove people like Ross and Waldo from our minds. And we want to bring all of that kind of stuff to you this evening as we recommit ourselves to you. And uh, we pray, Lord, that you would work in our hearts by your Spirit and tonight, Lord. We pray that you bring us to a place where we can surrender afresh to you. We want to pray your forgiveness, Lord, where at times there's been somebody else on the throne and on Jesus. And we want to instill him in our hearts, in our lives, in this church, in every aspect. Thank God for calling us recommit ourselves, to dedicate ourselves to you, to lay ourselves before you as a living sacrifice. And we pray, Lord, that you'd uh, just bless us as we do so. Okay, let's just be quiet for a moment, folks, and uh, I want us to, to do that, just to, uh, to do a sort of recommitment, dedication of ourselves to God, and uh, Maybe you want to just kneel somewhere in a place, find a place. Um, nobody will necessarily pray with you. But just stand in a place and say, God, I want to commit myself afresh to all these areas we talked about, particularly to what God wants to do um, in this evening service. Yeah. Okay. The way of Let's have some music as we as we do that. And you know, just for a few moments, I want you don't want you to miss out on that amazing experience folk had at, at our services this morning. Just to come here before God and, and, and just to speak to God. Uh, if you want to pray with you, then we'd love to do that. But just to pray on your own, just say to God, I want to commit my life fresh to you, I want to dedicate my gifts, my time, everything uh, to you.
time, the spirit in the life of this church. Thank you for all that you've done over the many years. We're going to pray for ourselves as we come and celebrate together as a church, Lord. We just pray that uh, you will move by your spirit, Lord. We pray for such unity in this body. We pray that together we will stand uh, for the things that you call us to do in this place. Stand in unity, Lord, against the enemy, so that we may build the church you want us to build and extend your kingdom, Lord. We just thank you that it begins with commitment, it begins with surrender, it begins with dedication. And we just want to thank you for ministering to us. We want to pray, Lord, that for any folk in this congregation here this evening who are struggling, Lord, with just recommitting themselves, dedicating, surrendering, Lord. Faith who felt that I got burnt. How often have I heard that word over the last few weeks? And Lord, we want to pray for any person who feels that they've been burnt. Will you minister to them by your Spirit in the name of Jesus? Bring your healing, Lord. Because we know that you are a loving and caring Father and you want to minister to us. Lord, if we would desire only that which is good for us. And so come, Lord, come Holy Spirit. We bring before you all that, that burning sensation in people's hearts and their lives where they feel they've been burnt. Come, Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus, just pour out your healing balm, Lord, over this congregation. So if you want to come up at the end, if you want to stay where you are as well, if there's stuff you just want to deal with, that's good. I get the feeling like God said quite a lot to some people tonight, so maybe you just want to hang back and deal with some of that stuff. 
Um, I'm just going to ask some of the cell leaders and young adult leaders if they can hang around and pray with people. Otherwise, have an awesome week. And let's pray together. God, thank you for tonight and thank you that um, you've been with us and that you've spoken and that we believe you've done what you want to do. And help us, God, keep us from coming to church every Sunday and having you speak to us and walking out the door and forgetting it. God, help us to keep it close to our hearts and minds all through the week. And allow it to sit with us, God, your word to sit with us and start to change us. Uh, Because if we don't do that, God, we're just going to stay the same. And we want to be more like you. So be with us as we go, God. Keep us in this week. Help us to be who you want us to be in you. And bless us and part us with your blessing and bring us back safe next week. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless.